Well, greetings, listeners in listener land. Welcome to St. Louis In Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, government, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. We originate from and connect the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. Mark Langston will be in shortly. He is en route. As many of you know, we're broadcasting this on the day of the opening day of the Cardinals season. I believe they're playing the Toronto Blue Jays. So Mark is on his way back, not from the game, but from uh, just getting through some traffic right there. And matter of fact, speaking of traffic, we're going to be talking about trafficking. And when I'm not talking about traffic that cars or trucks or bicycles or pedestrians go through, but it's the human kind of trafficking. And that is an, an egregious kind. And we're going to be talking to a couple guests here in a moment. But one of the things uh, you all need to think about about out there is being concerned about weather issues and I want to mention that as uh, weather changes here in the spring we have some storms coming up and one of the things you need to be doing is always checking out the weather broadcast and being prepared for those sudden onslaughts that might come our way. Our guests in studio are going to talk to us about human trafficking. They are experts at this. They've been doing this for a long time. Anna Foster is the Human Trafficking Task Force Coordinator Sergeant Brian Shanica is Special Investigations Unit at the St. Louis County Police Department. He has worked in this specific field for how long, Brian? Uh, I Specifically, I've been in control of the St. Louis County's uh, Special Investigations Unit and by proxy the uh, commander of the Eastern District of Missouri's Human Trafficking Task Force since uh, mid-April 2021. Wow. And before that, what were you doing? Uh, five and a half years prior to that, I was an investigator for the uh, Bureau of Professional Standards in the St. Louis County Police Department. That's our internal affairs arm. And prior to that, I was an investigator in computer and financial fraud. So you're kind of an expert at the fraud and the abuse kinds of uh, things that people would go through to take advantage of other people. I absolutely have experience in all of that area. And Anna, what, what is your background in this particular area? So I've only been working in this role for about over a year now, since last January, but officially the task force has existed, I believe, since 2013 as a formal partnership between the International Institute and St. Louis County Police Department, as well as other federal law enforcement partners, to prevent and respond to human trafficking within the Eastern Federal District of Missouri. So let's talk about what trafficking is exactly. You know, people hear that, they think of congestion, you know, because they're thinking of automobile or pedestrian kinds of traffic. We're talking about human trafficking, and let's let's really define that for people as so they know exactly what we're what we're discussing here yeah so human trafficking at its core is about control and money um, simplified like a good definition to go off of is it's the exploitation of an individual for the use of commercial sex or forced labor um, Brian and I operate off of the federal definition of human trafficking so when we are looking for a trafficking situation and I can read the definition here if it's easier yeah please do um, we use the definition provided by the Trafficking Victims Protection Act of 2000, or the TVPA. So that defines sex trafficking is the recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or obtaining of a person for the purposes of a commercial sex act, in which the commercial sex act is induced by force, fraud, or coercion, or in which the person induced to perform such an act has not obtained the age of 18 years old, which we can talk about later. Mm -hmm. Labor trafficking, which is another part of what we do, um, is labor trafficking is the recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or obtaining of a person for labor or services through the use of force, fraud, and coercion for the purposes of subjection of to involuntary servitude, peonage, debt bondage, or slavery. So something that we can clarify immediately is that there is no such thing as human sex trafficking and then a differentiation between that and labor trafficking. Human trafficking is the umbrella term and then labor trafficking and sex trafficking kind of branch off from Subterms that. of that. Exactly. And Brian, there were three words that were mentioned there pretty specifically. Uh, I will say them here if I can get them. It was a force, fraud, or coercion. Discuss exactly what those things encompass because from a from a specific from a law enforcement background absolutely so what what you need to understand in the beginning is is that a child under the age of 18 years old cannot uh, consent to anything so force fraud and coercion is not necessary in a prosecution or to be identified as a victim of trafficking in either way uh, labor or sex trafficking if you're under 18 you can't consent and thereby if you're being forced 
or uh, coerced into uh, uh, one of these two trades, uh, you're automatically covered. Um, the, so the three arms we're going to talk about is force, fraud, and coercion, as you said. Uh, force is just exactly as it implies uh, anything from a physical restraint to the use of uh, weapons to force another person into compliance uh, to take advantage of them. Uh, the fraud is just a little bit more finesse driven with regard to if we're talking about the, the commercial sex trade, uh, you may have a, a trafficker who uses finesse to convince victims that they need to do things for them in order to survive. Um, and then the coercion is uh, a little bit more into that to where maybe your documents are being held, your driver's license or your birth certificate or other things like that, you're being coerced into these acts because the trafficker is holding something over you. Like threats to your family or something like exactly. that. Absolutely right. So threats both to you individually or maybe those that you care about or those around you. So me physically, I'm not going to, but like threatening you, right. but I could also be like, I know where your kids sleep. I know um, where the hospital that your mother is staying at. Um, the threat had to have been received by the individual, and that's just coercion. Um, fraud, another important thing, is so traffickers target vulnerable individuals. Traffickers are specifically skilled in identifying somebody's vulnerabilities um, and exploiting it for their own. Community. And who would vulnerable individuals yeah. be in our community? So that can be an incredibly diverse group of people, it, and it, frankly it is. So we've seen um, folks who are experiencing homelessness, poverty, um, the LGBTQ um, uh, youth, especially in our community, or those who are homeless, um, those working at the International Institute, we've definitely seen immigration status as something used to exploit somebody. For, so any of these vulnerabilities come also with an intersection of a lack of support and a lack of available resources. Because if somebody who was, say, homeless, if they had available resources to them, they would be less likely to believe and follow the false promises of a trafficker in order to meet their basic needs. Because if I was experiencing homelessness, a trafficker could come to me and say, um, I have a safe place for you to stay. I have a warm bed, a clean shower, and a hot meal. And because I'm struggling to meet my basic needs, I'm going to follow that trafficker and do what they say in order to keep that need. Because again, I'm clearly struggling to meet that basic need. For an immigration status, we know that so many people within our community are undocumented. And that already comes with its own vulnerabilities. If somebody else knows that they're undocumented, that's something they can exploit them over. As in, you're going to do what I say, or I'm going to report you to law enforcement. I'm going to report you to ICE and have you deported. And then you'll be separated from your family, the life that you've tried to build here. And for some folks, going back home is a dangerous situation for them. And so they're going to do everything they can to stay in this situation. So when it comes to fraud, which how, how I was connecting vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. Traffickers are going to be promising a way to alleviate those vulnerabilities. They're going to be hoping, ho helping you, excuse me, um, remove them from your life. So if you're homeless, promising you a safe place to stay. If you're in poverty, promising you a work opportunity that will pay well, support your family well. Um, if you're an individual who's maybe never experienced love or affection or a, a good model relationship um, or an intimate relationship, they'll be promising you, you know, um, intimacy, connection, um, and for those missing that, that's something that they'll go for and they'll go after in order to keep that thing that they so desperately need in order to survive. Now, this is – it's just not an, an issue here in the state or the country. This is an international kind of thing. And it actually has been going on for a, a long, long time. It's, this is not anything new. Like indentured servants mm -hmm. could be considered, you know, trafficked uh, to a degree, I guess, mm -hmm. if you if you really going to kind of scroll Absolutely, out the definition yeah. a little bit. As it relates to those involved in uh, sex trafficking versus labor trafficking, what is what is the percentages? Is there more in sex trafficking? Is there more in labor trafficking? Or does it depend upon the area or the state, or does it matter? So we don't like to define the problem in terms of percentages. What I like to say is that trafficking is occurring anywhere. Not everywhere, but anywhere. Uh, those vulnerabilities that are targeted are what draw the tra traffickers to the trafficking victims, and, and those vulnerabilities occur everywhere in life. So it could be, it could be your neighbor. Exactly. Um, and Brian and I 
we're pretty good at we don't like to give direct numbers just because so much of the data that's out there is going to be skewed on folks that got, they were able to come forward and get to speak to them. Any data that you look at um, is going to be based on identified victims of trafficking. And we know that as a crime, it's incredibly underreported just because of the power and control that traffickers have over victims. Absolutely. And the nature of the crime to be secretive and covert, to simply never come forward to both law enforcement to, or to victim service providers if they remain in the situation or if they eventually get out on their own. Yeah, I was looking at a website, and it's the humantraffickinghotline.org website, and they, they do have some statistics on there. And I, I can't imagine that it, somebody who's being trafficked is going to get on there and and you know, or call the numbers. And I, and I do want to mention the numbers, though, because mm -hmm. I think the numbers are almost as important for people who identify, who may mm -hmm. be bystanders, as it may be for the people who are being trafficked themselves. So, folks, this is 888-373-7888, 888-373-7888. You can also text HELP to 23373, 23373. Mm -hmm. And which kind of goes down a, a, a path about we probably see people who are being trafficked all the time. We just don't know it. Mm -hmm. So how can we be more aware? What are some things that you can give listeners some ideas on, you know, keeping their eyeballs posted or things look kind of that doesn't look right or, hmm, you know, I'm thinking back to that situation. And you don't want to create a, a, a false positive here. But at the same time, you don't want to ignore a situation where maybe somebody is really kind of needing some assistance to get out of the situation that they're in. Yeah, when you're talking about red flags for, for trafficking victims or traffickers, uh, it can be everyday behaviors that just seem out of place in time for when they're occurring. Okay, just to throw an example out there, if you're at a bus station, which is a known funneling point for trafficking uh, individuals, uh, if you see a child that's accompanied by somebody who doesn't look like that they would be uh, normally with that child maybe the age disparity is way off it doesn't appear to be a grandfather or grandchild situation you know and the child is displaying uh, overt actions uh, indicating that they're not comfortable in this situation or they're being directed what to say or what not to say this is one simple red flag mm -hmm. um, another one to possibly consider is if an individual appears to be socially isolated or they may be living in somebody's home but in a place that typically people normally wouldn't like not where the rest of the bedrooms are but possibly in an unfinished basement garage or attic or if you're seeing somebody in a home that doesn't seem to be allowed to like go out and speak to people in the neighborhood or just other members of the family get a job outside of the home even go to school um if you're noticing people being treated like a servant that's also kind of worth mentioning um any signs of possible like debt manipulation or mentioning of owing a debt um like if they were to mention that they owe a debt to somebody that they live with, that can be to a lot of things. It could be to maybe getting them a job. It could be to maybe they're a sponsor that helped them arrive here into the United States or somebody who helped them just get this job in general. Um, other things worth mentioning are just also general signs of labor exploitation and mm -hmm. labor violations. So, you know, abuse of labor laws, like are people working in an industry without proper equipment so are they working on a construction site without headgear masks goggles um are they transported to and from work by the same person every single day um maybe maybe it's not maybe it's a carpool group maybe it's something a little bit more right um and obviously if like you're hearing somebody being threatened with some type of harm that's always worth obviously reporting and looking into because that could be legitimate threats obviously to their safety and well-being both as a possible domestic violence or interpersonal violence situation, but it could also be signs of trafficking. Okay. We are having a conversation on human trafficking with Anna Foster and Sergeant Brian Shanica from the Special Investigations Unit at St. Louis County Police Department. Anna is with the Human Trafficking Task Force. She is the coordinator for that. We're going to come back and ask some more questions related to human trafficking and how you as individuals out there, we're going to expand on identification. What are some training opportunities that are offered for uh, groups within the community who, can, who want to become more knowledgeable about this and, and just be better observers? So we're going to do that uh, right after our break. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis in Tune. We'll be right back.
This is Arnold Stricker of St. Louis in Tune on behalf of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation. In 1857, the Dred Scott decision was a major legal event and catalyst that contributed to the Civil War. The decision declared that Dred Scott could not be free because he was not a citizen. The 14th Amendment, also called the Dred Scott Amendment, granted citizenship to all born or naturalized here in our country and was intended to overturn the U.S. Supreme Court decision on July 9, 1868. The Dred Scott Heritage Foundation is requesting a commemorative stamp to be issued from the U.S. Postal Service to recognize and remember the heritage of this amendment by issuing a stamp with the likeness of the man Dred Scott. But we need your support and the support of thousands of people who would like to see this happen. To achieve this goal, we ask you to download, sign, and share the one-page petition with others. To find the petition, please go to dredscottlives.org and click on the Dred Scott Petition Drive on the right side of the page. On behalf of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation, this has been Arnold Stricker of St. Louis In Tune. At St. Louis In Tune, we strive to bring you informative, useful, and reflective stories, as well as interviews about current and historic issues and events that involve people, places, and things. We cover a wide range of topics, such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports, and that's just to name a few. While St. Louis In Tune originates from the Gateway City and covers local topics, we also connect to what's going on nationally as well. If you missed any of our previously aired programs of St. Louis In Tune, simply visit stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. There you'll find the show notes and everything that was mentioned in that episode and all the other great episodes as well. And if you've got an area that you'd like us to examine deeper, well, just let us know by dropping us a note at stlintune at gmail.com. That's stlintune at gmail.com. St. Louis In Tune. It's heard Monday through Friday on the usradionetwork.com and many great radio stations around the U.S. and, of course, right here in St. Louis. Our website, again, is stlintune.com. Visit us today. That's stlintune.com. Welcome back to St. Louis In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. We're having a conversation about human trafficking and that takes the form of sex trafficking and also labor trafficking we've been talking to two individuals here anna foster's the coordinator for the human trafficking task force and sergeant brian shanica is the special investigations unit officer at the st louis county police department who handles this and before the break we were talking about some training opportunities and i mentioned the atip program which is kind of based out of the international institute of st louis here and anna why don't you talk a little bit about that atip program and give people the i'm giving them the acronym and it actually (laughs) means what it means the anti-trafficking in persons program so a lovingly called atip and it's just Social service industries really like acronyms, and so we continue to use acronyms for a lot of things. Um, so our services, thank you, uh, our services include intensive case management services to um, all survivors of human trafficking. So regardless of age, gender identity, sexual orientation, victimization status, um, we will be able to work with you as a victim of trafficking to provide um, screening, crisis intervention, safety planning, short-term financial assistance for a lot of our folks helping applying for benefits and referrals to additional services, including law enforcement, if they would like to pursue investigation um, and prosecuting their traffickers. Um, our program have seen, has seen an incredibly diverse group of people. The oldest person that we had in our program was 72 years old, wow. and they were trafficked as a home health aide by a family member, so they were a live-in nurse for a family member. Wow. Um, the youngest person that we know about, um, not that we serve directly, but that many of our one of our law enforcement partners identified to us was three months old. So I know. Um, so if I can tell you anything, it's that there's not one sort of demographic that is most likely targeted for trafficking. It's an incredibly diverse group of individuals. Um, a good saying is that anybody can be trafficked into any industry at any time. Um, so again, it's an incredibly diverse group of people. Um, to be eligible for our program uh, officially in ATIP, you ha- we so we serve all potential unidentified victims and survivors of labor and sex trafficking, um, regardless of immigration status, so including adults and minors, individuals of all gender identities again, and also foreign-born and U.S. citizens. So we're one of the only programs at the International Institute which will serve foreign-born folks and U.S. citizens. 
I think there is, uh, this is my perception, again, my perception, that a lot of the trafficking occurs because of migrant workers or immigration kinds of things. But there is as much trafficking going on with native-born mm -hmm. citizens than there probably is with those who are coming in from outside the country. Am I correct or incorrect here? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a global problem, obviously, but just here locally, we're responsible for 49 counties on this side of the state, the Eastern District of Missouri, and uh, we see uh, trafficking situations everywhere in that responsible area. And it starts as young as three months old, as Anna described, all the way up to the elderly. And it takes all different forms. Now, you, you mentioned some things that you do with the ATIP program and training. Yeah. And I know, uh, Brian, you also do some training aspects, but you kind of do it a little bit differently. And I talk about the training opportunities that ATIP will provide for uh, groups out in the community, and let's name some of those groups. Yeah, so in partnership both with the International Institute and St. Louis County Police Department, we can do you know basic human trafficking 101 presentations for community groups. So for those who are just any, uh, part of any sort of group um, that they'd like to learn more. So we've trained a group of sorority sisters, um, both who are in college and then out of college. Um, I've trained um, ethical societies here in the St. Louis area. Um, but we can also do trainings specific to the industries that individuals are in and how they might identify victims of trafficking. So we've done trainings for paramedics and firefighters, um, other emergency response folks, um, nurses, um, both in hospital settings and in family care settings, emergency rooms. Um, we've trained business owners, both for um, like just local business owners or business owners who might be working in hospitality, hospitality or exotic dance clubs who mm -hmm. like might be mm -hmm. also like encountering some victims of trafficking. Right. And then Brian is able to lead a wonderful training for uh, identity identifying and addressing human trafficking for law enforcement. And let's talk about that in a second, because I, I want to hit on something that Anna said. So you're just doing a general broad brush 101, mm -hmm. but then you get you give each specific institution things that they should look for because it's really strictly based upon their setting. It's like, ba based on how they're going to see their patients or clients. Right. You know, as a paramedic, how when do you have opportunities to speak to your patients? in the back of an ambulance. Right. So what are specific indicators that you might see at the scene, so at the home or the job site that they're first arriving to, and how that might also get into some of like the identifications of trafficking that you can address in transportation. Okay. Brian, talk a little bit about your training with law enforcement and how is that and what kind of involvement is that? Yeah, so leaning into what Anna said, what we want to do when we're training law enforcement is we reach out to through all of our partners in the area that we're responsible for and we offer the training to frontline patrol officers at roll calls uh, we try to gear the training for them towards red flags that they may see as as anna said on their calls for service it could manifest on a domestic violence call it could manifest on a theft call a fraud call a child abuse investigation mm -hmm. all of these things uh, are going to be indicators of, of a vulnerable person and a person who may or may not be a victim of trafficking or be under control of a trafficker. Uh, so what we want to do is point out these red flags to the law enforcement uh, people who are on the front lines. We also try to educate prosecutors and we, we educate uh, commanders on the police departments so they, they understand what they're seeing when it comes across their desk as far as investigations go. Could, I, you know, this, for me, um, I just want if, to, if I see this happening somewhere uh, in a neighborhood or somewhere, I, getting from uh, the person, you know, that's, that's being abused to getting into law enforcement right. or other people that can help, um, I think that bridge there seems to me to be uh, really a difficult uh, spot. Uh, because they may be afraid they're going to get deported. There, mm -hmm. I, I mean, you, you guys can probably speak to this much better than I can. Uh, but even approaching some of these people, they may not want to even talk to you about it for for you know fear of retaliation mm -hmm. from whoever's uh, perpetrating this kind of stuff. So, uh, is there any suggestion on how I can, as a as a citizen, as a some as an observer, uh, how I can help with this? 
Yeah, so we would always say, you know, in a situation where you see somebody in immediate danger, obviously you're going to want to call 911 and get the police involved. Uh, we have trained a lot of law enforcement officers, first responders, to, to recognize these flags already, and we hope that we get the phone call referrals from these local uh, enforcers uh, so that we can initiate an investigation and get services started for any potential victims. Mm -hmm. Our model, our, our trafficking model, uh, for the grant is uh, trauma-informed, victim-centered uh, services that from social services side and from law enforcement. We treat our, our potential victims as victims like they should mm -hmm. be. And uh, we hope that that effort and educating the public in that arena of it kind of quells some of the concerns that a victim might have in coming forward or a witness might have in bringing the issue forward. Because I'm sure like Mark said, people who see things and maybe they went through a training and then everybody's sense of they have a heightened sense of <laughs> right. looking around and right. well maybe that's it or maybe that's it and i'd rather have there be a false maybe this sounds horrible a false mm -hmm. positive no. than no call made at all right. because it could be but you don't want to it's kind of like child abuse mm -hmm. calling the child abuse hotline yeah exactly and saying well gee you know of course you're not the one to judge that you're just the one to report it and then that's somebody else's job to figure out whether it is or it isn't Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that person who gets, quote-unquote, accused mm -hmm. is in that situation having to deal with social service agencies and maybe law enforcement on top of them saying, you know, what's going on here? And maybe it, maybe it is a false uh, yeah. law. I, I don't want it to sound simple, but it seems like the first line of defense is to call 911 because the law enforcement uh, are – trained uh to recognize this and and maybe try to figure out you know what the next steps are so that's instead of me or you uh approaching the person say hey is everything okay here oh yeah i'd, I'd never do that <laughs> <laughs> but there are people yeah, we don't recommend that. no please not um i would always recommend calling the national human trafficking hotline just because of how that system works is it's meant you call it and it's able to connect you to anti-trafficking professionals mm -hmm. in your area so i get these calls brian gets these calls a lot of other law enforcement partners and all the other social service agencies who work in anti-trafficking in the St. Louis region also get these calls because if they if some if a potential victim of trafficking is calling um, the hotline will connect them immediately to that resource and it can be connected to if they would need law enforcement to support them immediately or if they would need a social worker or social services to help establish themselves or just get out of the situation as well. Um, another option is that you can always call me or the Human Trafficking Task Force. Um, so my phone number is 314-745-2512. And in those cases, individuals can call me, whether it be about questions about human trafficking, questions about screening, or if they have a possible case referral. You can tell me just a little bit about the case, and then based on what you're sharing, I can recommend if you should contact law enforcement or contact a social worker. Um, whenever I get these calls and they request law enforcement, I immediately call Brian, and I tell them this is what I received, this is the information that I have. Um, this, they have allowed me to give you their contact information, so I trust you ent entirely to go address and look into this case. Um, if they would need a social worker, I can connect them to the variety of social workers that I work here with at the International Institute to connect them to resources. And what's that number again, Anna? It is 314-745-2512. And I want to give the National Human Trafficking Hotline again, 888-373-7888. It seems to me, and just thinking about this, Mark, that... <clears throat> That might be a better way to go uh -huh. to calling the hotline because then they will get a call from the hotline people. And right. if law enforcement needs to be involved, it's much faster for them to get law enforcement involved than me calling 911 mm -hmm. in the city, which sometimes could be, like the other night, four minutes right. before I got an <laughs> answer. So four minutes can in, in an emergency situation especially in a trafficking situation i'm not minimizing fires no, or no, no. you know heart attacks or mm -hmm. automobile accidents or whatever right. but it seems to me that time is of the essence when that somebody's reporting something like that yeah i i like the idea of calling the uh, human trafficking task force i think first mm -hmm. having them vet it 
mm-hmm. talk to the folks, mm-hmm. turn it over to the sergeant, you know. Mm-hmm. Instead of having uniformed officers show mm-hmm. up, I think that, right. unfortunately, it intimidates people. It sometimes scares them. Or heightens the yeah. situation. Yeah, it makes it sometimes worse, right. Uh, right. even though they're definitely there to help. Benefit, our law enforcement are all plainclothes officers, so immediately it diffuses a lot of that tension mm-hmm. that can come with being like, even if I was like, approaching you with a suit like that's kind of intimidating mm-hmm. um or like you know white coat syndrome in a doctor's office having plainclothes officers there to support you immediately diffuses some of that yeah that tension your listeners situation. can't see but the way that i came in today is the way that i go to work every day yeah. and the same for my detectives that work under me we're all very with that cardinal uh, shirt on you have a cardinal shirt on every day on, on game days <laughs> <laughs> okay every day is a game day and, uh, and then uh, uh, St. Louis City SC on, on yeah, Saturday. There, there so. you go. There you okay, go. Okay. Now I've got a couple more questions. We're going to take another quick break, and we'll come right back because there are some survivors and dealing with the situation and having been in situations. Uh, there, there's support even for those who get out of those situations. We're going to talk about that uh, right after this break. So we'll be right back. You're listening to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston on the U.S. Radio Network. At St. Louis In Tune, we strive to bring you informative, useful, and reflective stories, as well as interviews about current and historic issues and events that involve people, places, and things. We cover a wide range of topics, such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports, and that's just to name a few. While St. Louis In Tune originates from the Gateway City and covers local topics, we also connect to what's going on nationally as well. If you missed any of our previously aired programs of St. Louis In Tune, simply visit stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. There you'll find the show notes and everything that was mentioned in that episode and all the other great episodes as well. And if you've got an area that you'd like us to examine deeper, well, just let us know by dropping us a note at stlintune at gmail.com. That's stlintune at gmail.com. St. Louis Intune. It's heard Monday through Friday on the usradionetwork.com and many great radio stations around the U.S. and, of course, right here in St. Louis. Our website, again, is stlintune.com. Visit us today. That's stlintune.com. This is Arnold Stricker of St. Louis In Tune on behalf of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation. In 1857, the Dred Scott decision was a major legal event and catalyst that contributed to the Civil War. The decision declared that Dred Scott could not be free because he was not a citizen. The 14th Amendment, also called the Dred Scott Amendment, granted citizenship to all born or naturalized here in our country and was intended to overturn the U.S. Supreme Court decision on July 9, 1868. The Dred Scott Heritage Foundation is requesting a commemorative stamp to be issued from the U.S. Postal Service to recognize and remember the heritage of this amendment by issuing a stamp with the likeness of the man Dred Scott. But we need your support and the support of thousands of people who would like to see this happen. To achieve this goal, we ask you to download, sign, and share the one-page petition with others. To find the petition, please go to dredscottlives.org and click on the Dred Scott Petition Drive on the right side of the page. On behalf of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation, this has been Arnold Stricker of St. Louis In Tune. Welcome back to St. Louis In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. We're talking to Anna Foster and Sergeant Brian Shanica. They are both involved in the Human Trafficking Task Force here in the metropolitan St. Louis area. And before we went to break, we had a couple more questions that we were going to talk about. Survivors. There are success stories. We don't want names at all. I, but I want people to know who are listening out there that there is hope if you are in a situation or maybe you have a family member who's been pulled into a situation or you have observed something. There is hope for people to get out of these things. And uh, describe how they can, like if they call up and they get assistance, walk us through what that looks like and then what support they get afterwards. Yeah, so I specifically just want to touch on uh, a, 
a type of case that we see on a regular basis and that it's based in familial trafficking. That's a situation where a family member is actually victimizing another family member. It doesn't have to be parental to child. It could be relative. Um, we see these instances often, and we also see a lot of success stories that come out of those uh, outcomes. Uh, when we identify a person as a potential trafficking victim, our services start immediately, not only on the law enforcement side with investigation and, and criminal prosecution. We get social service providers involved, uh, educators, uh, uh, medical staff involved to just it's like a holistic approach to to healing uh, a victim from the beginning to the end and um, I can tell you uh, Sergeant Adam Cavanaugh who's now retired from St. Louis County he did this for 20 years before I came on and he could give you millions of stories of success mm. for children and adults and uh, foreign-born people who have been rescued from trafficking situations uh, and it's all the same model we reapproach we, we it victim-centered, trauma-informed, mm -hmm. and, and begin at the beginning uh, getting them services. Mm -hmm. um, so those services would often include getting their basic immediate needs met. So get, providing housing, food, medical, and mental health care are crucial for a lot mm -hmm. of these folks because mm -hmm. especially after a trafficking experience, it's, that can be a pretty traumatic experience. So providing mental health care and a like safety is a huge element for a lot of folks. And safety, right. rightfully, is a huge concern for folks. Right. Um, for a lot of our foreign-born populations, interpretation interpretation services are available to them in order to help them maybe get accustomed to the area or to connect to a broader range of services that would be available to them. Um, there's also um, available resources for immigration relief and criminal relief. So for folks who are undocumented in their trafficking situation, they might be hesitant to come forward as victims of trafficking because if they're undocumented, they might see like, oh, I can't go to law enforcement or I can't go to a service provider right. because they're going to have me deported or right. I'm going to get in trouble. There are several immigration relief options for folks if they would choose to stay in the United States. But again, they're not required to because I can, you can imagine probably most folks don't want to stay in an area which they were abused and exploited. Right. Um, when it comes to criminal relief for folks who have been forced to commit crimes in relation to their trafficking situation, mm. um, that's something that's called um, more in the field and recognized more in the field now as to forced criminality. So that can be solicitation and sex work because that is a crime in uh, in the state of Missouri. Um, it can also be drug trafficking or drug sales, transportation, um, theft, um, stealing cars, anything any crime that they were forced to commit at the hands of because of their trafficking situation there's options for criminal relief because you should not be held accountable for crimes that you were forced to commit right right so they're survivors after getting out of a trafficking situation um after going through you know an appropriate period of healing and addressing their trauma and it is a lifelong process because trauma simply doesn't go doesn't away. go away right um but survivors have been able to lead fantastic and fulfilling lives um, we have survivors in the st louis area who have become survivor advocates working directly to support victims of trafficking um, we have survivor advocates around the country that look to propel or support legislation to better support survivors um, and provide funding for investigations and pr service provision um, or you can also choose to live a normal life become a teacher social worker a police officer a radio host um, do anything that you want to do and that you are able to do inherently as a person with rights. I'm going to throw you a curve here now because mm -hmm. it's the first day of baseball season. <laughs> is give me a 15 and 20 second message to people who are victims right now in a trafficking situation. Give them some hope in 15 or 20 seconds. What I would say to any potential trafficking victim from a law enforcement perspective is, is you can trust that uh, people who are expert at investigating and assisting with uh, uh, helping these victims, you can trust us. Uh, reach out to us through any means that you can and understand that we're going to approach it from a victim-centered platform from the beginning. You don't have to worry about being arrested or having your children taken away from you. We don't do that. Uh, we, we need to have the information to get you safe and out of the situation of m moving forward. For us, prosecution comes second. Mm -hmm. Regardless of immigration status, victimization status, anything that you were forced to do in relation to your trafficking experience, there are people and services 
here and willing to support you. And we would love to connect you with appropriate resources and get you into a safe place in which you are able to thrive. We've been talking to Anna Foster, Human Trafficking Task Force Coordinator, and Sergeant Brian Chanica, who is Special Investigations Unit at St. Louis County Police Department about human trafficking. I want to thank you both for coming in and talking to us about that. And folks, don't forget, uh, Anna gave her number, 314-745-2512, and the National Human Trafficking Hotline is 888-373-7888. Uh, very important topic, and we probably need to do some updates periodically throughout the year and find out how things are going and what are the things you all are doing. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Thank you for having Thank us. you so much. You bet. We're going to come back after a brief break, and we have some other things to discuss on this day. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis in Tune. You're listening to the U.S. Radio Network. Thanks for listening to St. Louis In Tune. On each and every show, we strive to bring you informative, useful, and reflective stories and interviews about current and historic issues and events that involve people, places, and things. Hey, we cover a wide range of content in the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, and humor, justice, and sports, and that's just to name a few. While St. Louis In Tune originates from the Gateway City and covers local topics, we connect to what is going on nationally as well. If you missed any of our previously aired programs of St. Louis In Tune, simply visit stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. There you'll find every show from our first to our most current. Use the search engine and look for a show that might interest you and if you have an area that you'd like us to examine deeper, let us know. Just drop us a line at stlintune at gmail.com. That's stlintune at gmail.com. St. Louis In Tune, heard Monday through Friday on the usradionetwork.com and many great stations around the U.S. and, of course, right here in St. Louis. Our website again is stlintune.com. STLintune.com. This is Arnold Stricker of St. Louis In Tune on behalf of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation. In 1857, the Dred Scott decision was a major legal event and catalyst that contributed to the Civil War. The decision declared that Dred Scott could not be free because he was not a citizen. The 14th Amendment also called the Dred Scott Amendment, granted citizenship to all born or naturalized here in our country and was intended to overturn the U.S. Supreme Court decision on July 9, 1868. The Dred Scott Heritage Foundation is requesting a commemorative stamp to be issued from the U.S. Postal Service to recognize and remember the heritage of this amendment by issuing a stamp with the likeness of the man Dred Scott. But we need your support and the support of thousands of people who would like to see this happen. To achieve this goal, we ask you to download, sign, and share the one-page petition with others. To find the petition, please go to dreadscottlives.org and click on the Dred Scott Petition Drive on the right side of the page. On behalf of the Dred Scott Heritage Foundation, this has been Arnold Stricker of St. Louis In Tune. Welcome back to St. Louis In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. And, you know, I missed the quote of the day or the um, the what do I want to call it return to civility ah. I miss the return to civility so here we go folks all right here we go the greatest glory in living lies not in never failing never falling but in rising every time we do fall mm. the greatest glory in living lies not in never falling but in rising every time we do fall mm-hmm. I agree I don't and, know what I can add to that. <laughs> and based upon you know our previous conversation about trafficking, those who are in a situation mm-hmm. like that, getting out of that is just like a new day, a new dawn. Right. You know. Yeah. Our next next time we talk with them, and they were great. The first step. How do you get out of that? That's yeah. just that first step. Then the second step will come, and the third. Right. Right. Boy, I, I, that, that first step to me, I when I hear the conversation that you guys had, you know, earlier, it was just so. How do you just even start to get out of something like that? Right. 
that you're so i mean that's just something that's deep blood and dark and right. you know just a hole that it's yeah horrible it's just terrible i can't imagine yeah just what you're a slave it's being a slave it is it you is know, and doing, it's modern day slavery yeah illegal things and just it's just terrible i was surprised when he was talking about how relatives will use relatives yeah it's like what oh yeah that's it's isn't that heartbreaking it is it's kind of heartbreaking it's disgusting yeah. yeah it's it's heartbreaking now i know you are the man of what is today mm, what wor- is the wor- day of today i'm working on today of the day yep today of the day so i do know that it is something uh, doctor's day today you know, <laughs> it is like a, acknowledge your doctor day uh-huh appreciating your physician there we go there yeah we go. that help our lives every day that's right I, I I know based on the amount of pills I take every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't take that many pills, folks. I know people that take a lot of pills, though. Yeah, oh yeah. And yeah. I fear that someday I'm going to be. <laughs> I'm like, how many can you take? It's thank your pharmacist day. Right, right. <laughs> and thank your doctor day. It's all kind of together. Uh, this is an interesting thing today. Uh, it's uh, grass is always browner on the other side of the fence. What? <laughs> Learn how to appreciate your own life. With uh, with some great uh, w- w- that's going on, you know, the grass is not necessarily greener on the other side. Now I've I've heard that's why they're saying it's browner, browner because yeah. it's greener on your side. Now I've I've heard two things related to that: is the grasses might be greener on the other side, but you still have to mow it. <laughs> and then secondly, is why is the grass over there greener? Because there's more fertilizer that's put on it. <laughs> but that wasn't the word that was used in this particular thing that mm-hmm. I read. Oh, that's, I get, all right. That's, I, actually, that's good. I, I like that. Maybe that's why it was browner. Uh-huh. Fitness recovery day. Recovery day from uh, your your daily routine of exercise. Do you have a yeah. daily routine of exercise? I actually rode this morning. Did I, you? I, not not rode. I, I R-O-W-E-D. Oh, a I rode. rowing. I have a rowing machine. Wow. And I rode, and then I got one of them green smoothies to kind of, I said, throw some protein Ooh. in that, too. Ooh. You know, to get my recovery back. Did you make the green smoothie? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I went somewhere and bought it. I know. It. I, I love those things, but I just don't make them. No. You, know. you can't make them like they do. No, that's true. Unless you have true. the equipment. That's true. You're right. Uh, yeah. And who keeps that, those kind of vegetables in the house Never. all the time? Never. Frank, they, they'll Frank. go bad before I get to the end of them. Uh, Jack LaLanne did. <laughs> oh, that's right, Jack LaLanne. <laughs> he lived pretty long. And you know, he, what he did. Tow, tow a barge yeah. with his teeth swimming yeah. when he was, what, yeah. 80 or something? Yeah. And he had a jumpsuit. Didn't he wear a jumpsuit? Oh, yeah. Oh, it was yeah. a jumpsuit. You remember that thing? I remember watching the Jack LaLanne. Wow. Uh, uh, was it wow. Athletic Hour? Oh, my gosh. Hour. This is all. Uh, you're really uh, going way, I'm really way. old. Yeah, that's pretty far back. <laughs> that's all I can tell you. Okay, let's see. What else is it? Uh, National I'm in control day. <laughs> oh, Mission control can say I know. that. Yeah, make sure you're in control. Let's see. How about National Pencil Day? Mm-hmm. Did you know that one pencil can write a lot of words? They have a, a prediction on how many words one pencil your number two pencil. I was going to say, which which number is it? Number two? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever seen a number one pencil. But I haven't either. Is that is that those ones that are uh, the mechanical ones that? No, it's it's. That's not a number it's two. It's based it's upon the, how the lead is either harder or softer, and I can't remember which way is softer and which way is harder. Is that real lead in there? Uh, or graphite? It's. I think it's graphite. Yeah. It wouldn't be. I mean, we can't drink out of lead pipes, and you shouldn't have lead paint. Why are you going to give a, a preschooler a lead pencil? Well, I never know. No, you, never, <laughs> you don't never know. So it says here that they can write up to 45,000 words. Wow, we just have to get kids to use them. I, wouldn't that be uh, something? National Virtual Vacation Day? I'm, yeah, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm always taking a virtual vacation. Uh, take a walk in the park day. Okay, okay. You know, not not a bad idea. Nope. Of course, it is opening day. I think uh, in St. Louis, it should be. Uh, it's opening day for the Cardinals. A local holiday? Yeah. I mean, the, we are a big town for that kind of stuff. Where do you define local, then? Uh, do you go out to St. Charles County, oh. Jeff County, oh, that's Lincoln a, County, uh, go over on the east side, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't know. That's good. Because they have these holidays for somebody in Illinois. Like, who in the world is that? Like, I recognize <laughs> Abe Lincoln, but who's that guy? Who is that guy? Uh, it, anesthesia, anesthesia Tech Day. 
So appreciate your anesthesiologist. Isn't that your right? Check. Uh huh. It's Eiffel Tower Day. Mm, Dance that's what I fell. Uh, is that right? Uh, Dance Marathon Day. Oh, Crayola Crayon Day. Oh, is this to compete with the pencil day? <laughs> how many? How many? I, uh, how many uh, circles can you make with a crayon before it, it goes, it could goes be. bad? We're getting to the end. National Clams on the Half Shell Day. Oh, Who comes up with that? Now, come on. You know, national These were probably all passed by state legislatures. Yeah. So wait, it's National Crayon Crayola, which crayon I guess is a uh, is a brand. Right, kind of like Kleenex. But it's also National Crayon Day. Oh, maybe that's why. So something something funny's going on there. I'm, I'm telling you, something funny's going on. National Farm Workers Day kind of goes with... Do they use crayons? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> National Prom Day. Marie, a little early for prom. My wife and I were in um, Macy's. I haven't been in Macy's in forever. And we went to West County Mall Oh yeah, on 270 in Manchester. Yeah, right. And you know who said the malls were dead? Because I went in that place. It was hustling and bustling. Well, there's that one, and then there's um, the, I, the one over in Brentwood, and then the oh, one out in St. Peter's. I think those are the only malls that are left. That are people even go to. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, it's there. Yeah. North I didn't West see any. Plaza? Not. I didn't see any mall group. walkers. Yeah, no. No, uh-uh. no and they, they loved to mall walk. I don't know if they're still around or not. Um, National She's Funny That Way Day. <laughs> National Tater Day. You like tater tots? Uh, if they're really, really crisp. With a little cheese on them? You know, now you're making it like, uh, what's that stuff called? French fries with cheese and stuff on them. Right. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, Let me get back to my story about uh, Macy's. And we went in, uh, and there was a whole section on prom dresses. I have never seen so many prom dresses. It was crazy. I didn't know that they were like a, a prom. Oh, it's a whole department. It's a whole department really? in the department oh. store. Oh, the, my gosh. The prom. I know. Oh, here. Don't forget this one. World Backup Day. Back up that computer. Oh. Back it up. I know. All the time. I know. We're getting really close to the end of the show here, but those are just a few of my favorite days. <laughs> so we have to go. We have to get into sometime the uh, contradictory legislature. <laughs> Which they believe in small government, but they're making more large. And I say that just because of some things that they've done. This is local control versus mm. state control. Uh, you know, they want local control, but if it works out for them, otherwise it's state control. I know there's some things that have to be done like that. But I want to give uh, one funny out here before we leave for the day. Mm-hmm. And let's see here. Uh, how about this one? Chocolate is vital mm. for our survival. Uh-oh. Dinosaurs didn't have chocolate, and look what happened to them. <laughs> Point well taken. <laughs> You're wise beyond your years. Yes, I'm wise beyond, behind my ears. Oh, behind your ears, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, that's all for this hour. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, when the Martians invade... There is only one race, and it has always only been one race, the human race, and every one of us have different characteristics and is uniquely valuable. St. Louis in Tune is a production of Motif Media Group and the U.S. Radio Network. For St. Louis in Tune, co-host Mark Langston, I'm Arnold Stricker. Remember to walk worthy and let your light shine.